Okay, I don't know if anyone can hear me. We're all having a great time with dinner. It's, it's now 6.30 and it's time to start our class. So I appreciate everybody's attention. Thank you all for being here tonight. My name is Adam James. I'm a deacon here at St. Andrews. And I would like to express my thanks to seeing some of you for the first time and my thanks for seeing, to seeing some of you for many times. Um, this is the fullest night we've had because we've combined our two adult formation classes tonight, Discovery and the Way of Love, into one final session about what it means to worship and go. And I want to do a little housekeeping first as we start off. Um, for the people at home, we have microphones on the table because they're participating in a virtual space and this is about including them in the conversation. And I'm very proud of the fact that I got a fourth microphone working and now we have five tables. So, I'm, so we have one small, one small problem. Yes, so if, if you would, Father John, and the, you and this table share the microphone back and forth, just so, of, of course, thank you, Russ, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it, it, is, it is nice that people can hear you at home because when they do, Jen gets to receive their feedback and they offer questions and come into the discussion with us in this process. And that way they get to be a part of what we do. And this also goes on to our podcast so people can listen to the class and the discussion later. So first I wanted to um, take a moment to breathe and we'll begin with an opening prayer. O God of unchangeable power and eternal light, look favorably upon your whole church, that wonderful and sacred mystery, by the effectual working of your providence, carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. Let the whole world see and know things which were cast down and are being raised up. The things which had grown old are being made new, and all the, and all the things that are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So for our scripture reading for our class, we're going to dive into the Gospel of Luke here. This is chapter 24, the first 12 verses. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find a body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men dazzling in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and, and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the son of man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified on the th and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they, they told all this to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in he saw linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. Here ends the reading. So I'd like to invite everyone into a space of reflection. And if you have something you would like to share, please feel free to grab a mic. 
Is there anything about this scripture that strikes you immediately? I have to share that one of my favorite pieces of this story is the idea that seems to be glossed over in so many in the church world of the role of importance for the women in this moment. It was the women who discovered the empty tomb, who told the apostles. I was, <clears throat> I was taken I, um, just by the phrase and returning from the tomb. It's as if the women themselves had been buried and now they are coming out like Lazarus did into a new life, you know? Transformational, yes. Yeah. It's wonderful, thank you, Susan. I, I was struck by uh, let's see, third line from the bottom on the screen at least. These words seem to them an idle tale. I love that line. Yeah. Um, how, how real it was to the women who had experienced it and how the person who's only hearing it, eh, you know, you can't enter into it unless you can enter into it, which is a stupid thing to say. But That actually, thank you for saying that because how often do we see things that are life-changing and then we can't quite explain them to someone else in the same way, and it's not life-changing to hear it secondhand? Yeah. Anybody else? So obviously this piece of scripture is about something that we're going to hear about next week, next Sunday. I mean, this is, you know, we're getting into Easter here. We're getting into the concept of resurrection and the concept of eternal life. Almost as if we're just moving right past Holy Week here, but we're not. We're contemplating the future. And this whole class tonight is about contemplating the future, the next steps in your journey. So one of the more dramatic elements of worship during the Easter vigil service, which happens next Saturday night, is the element of surprise and wonder that's baked into the liturgy. There are unexpected moments, even when you do expect them, that still surprise you. They surprise me every time. We start in darkness with subdued energy. It feels like a continuation of Good Friday. Very somber, very quiet. And then we have a burst of worship-filled energy that enters the room, and Easter's here with Gloria's, and I'm not going to say the a word, but you, we all know the word you're not supposed to say in Lent. The word you can't say in Lent, but there's a whole lot of that immediately. <laughs> I like that. We'll go with that, Russ. Thank you. <laughs> when we arrive at the Gloria, we throw on the lights. Some churches ring bells. We kind of lay on the organ and make a holy noise. We sing at our loudest, and you may even feel the sprinkle of holy water during a baptism. We are celebrating the greatest surprise of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord, and we've put an end to eternal death. This drama is an invitation to let our hearts be moved from fear and despair 
and into gratitude and joy. From the very moment Jesus was born, the angels cried out loud to say, fear not for the breaking of their, in their own glorious song, mirrors ours during the Easter vigil. And I love the idea that we're almost reliving the birth all over again in a new way. In response to this wonderful gift from God, the shepherds ran to, his, to the stable and worshiped the newborn king of peace. As their fears subdued, their gratitude naturally flowed. So I'm talking about the birth narrative. And yet we're talking about Easter. Something to think about. Yet by the time Jesus' life is ending, when faced with the possibility of following him to the cross, the disciples are once again filled with fear, trembling in fear in the upper room. When they are reunited and resurrected with Jesus, the doors of a new future are flung open and they return to a stance of gratitude and worship. Their fear of eternal death, as well as our own, has been buried in the empty tomb. We are invited to rejoice and let our gratitude for the gift of new life draw us into worship with God. So this encounter with Jesus has changed the disciples so much they were compelled to go back to their fellow followers and proclaim the good news. Their testimony would eventually spread to every corner of the earth so that wherever we go, the love of God will meet us in those spaces. In this journey, you've been called to engage with the mystery of death and resurrection as mirrored in the Easter Vigil. We have been called from darkness into light, from fear into joy, from sin into restoration, from death into life. Our job is now to follow the examples of those women in the tomb and go into the world proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. Let this be the season that you go and live a full gift of the resurrection. So as we go into what it means to go out and worship in the world, I want to invite you to think about how do you express your faith in the world? You know, we don't use the E word very often in the Episcopal Church. And there's good reason why we don't. Unfortunately, it's been distorted but going out into the world and spreading our love that God gives us to others helps spread God's love. And we all do it in our own ways. Some work in our coffee shop, volunteer to ours as a barista, and they just provide hospitality, a warm smile and a cup of coffee and conversation with people that could come into the community center. Others are heavily involved in various outreach ministries throughout the church or they're involved in a greater aspect with the diocese, working with various different groups to spread the love. But that can happen anywhere. It can also happen at the gas station. It can happen at the grocery store. Oftentimes, your interaction with people and an opportunity to express kindness is a way of expressing God's love. So I'd like to invite you all, please grab a mic. How do you how do you spread God's love? Where do you feel God's presence when you're out among people? I see, I see you back there, Sydney.
Oh, oh, I can fix that really quick. <laughs> I would say each day a remembrance of God for me is as simple as a smile or even when you're walking past somebody just acknowledging they exist. It's like just the littlest things in life and they go so far. Um, it's always that saying where you want to leave people feeling good when you interact with them and yeah, you have no idea what their belief system is or anything, but you can, I interpret that that way. So, Thank you for sharing that. That's very I'll true. jump in too. My yeah. sister about six months ago uh, gave birth to my first nephew and my, uh, you know, the first like next generation in our family. And just watching like not only the joy on his face, but like the, the pure unbridled love that you see in her own eyes. She looks at her child. I think it's very like very focused and very specific, but it's, unequivocally i think you know a a vestige or a vessel for god's love in that way thank you benton i appreciate that okay susan yes. showing up at memory care assisted living yeah. for my husband and um and now because i'm there so often it's extended to all the other residents there like they smile they see my face they may not remember but i'm like part of that and it affects the staff too just um showing up that's kind of it sometimes showing up is all you have to do yeah yeah mike oh here there's a little button on the bottom it's a little gray button down on the bottom side here you keep turning it Right there. There you go. Now you're on. Okay. Yep. I work part-time at a retail store, and what I try to do, I strive to do, is at least once a day when I'm there, and somebody comes in and I wait on them and bring them up the cash register, is try to pick one person out and give them a kind word, a compliment of some type, nice hat, Kansas City Chiefs hat, boy, that really looks good on you, you know, something like that, just to make them feel a little bit better about themselves, and I strive to do that. I don't always succeed, but I make that attempt. But one thing I want to tell everybody also is that uh, I'm new to the church, and uh, I'm a Catholic, and giving some consideration and becoming Episcopalian. And I've got to say that last couple Sundays when I've been at church, people have come up to me in the front pew ahead of me or whatever, and we're getting ready to leave, and they take my hand, they shake my hand very warmly and sincerely. And I've got to say that it hasn't happened in the past, and it's very warm and consoling to know that, and they actually help make my day by doing that as well. And I think that's just a wonderful thing for a lot of the people here who are members of this parish, and I thank you all. Thank you for sharing that, Mike. The gray button on the bottom. Okay, so I'm going to come at it from the other side because I used to manage a retail store for a very, very long time. And um, I want to put a disclaimer out that I am still a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have tried, I am trying to be more patient and kind with people in that environment right now because everyone comes in with their troubles and they take it out on the people they don't know. And um, it's really difficult sometimes to keep a smile on your face and help people when everyone's cranky at you and think everything is your fault, even though you know it's not. Um, and so I'm trying to be more kind and patient, even though sometimes inside I'm like, you do know you're in public, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a work in progress. <laughs> but 
It's, yeah, that's all. <laughs> I, I learned a pretty valuable lesson. This is going on almost 20 years ago, and I was at a grocery store, and I had my cross on, and I was checking out, and I, I was getting some flowers, and I guess the price of the flowers was different than what had shown up, and the person was all apologetic, and I was like, oh, okay, it's fine. <laughs> And she said to me, she's like, well, thank you. And you're a Christian, so you would understand. <laughs> and that lesson to me was, when I'm wearing this, I have a responsibility to, to, to be a certain way, that there's an expectation when people see this. I mean, I, I firmly believe what C.S. Lewis said, that the definition of a Christian is someone who believes in Christ, <laughs> that that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a better person, but the outside expectation is that somehow I have to be better. So I just remembered that, that I bear a responsibility when I wear this. I'm so glad you shared that, Gina. We will talk a little bit about our responsibilities and our baptismal covenant in a little bit, because we do have those responsibilities as Christians. Hey, I'm Jana. I don't know everyone here, but um, I work in a hospital and Hospitals have really changed so much post-COVID, through COVID and post-COVID. And so often I'll walk into a room and it's one person in a room. They're often there by themselves. The door's often shut. Um, and if their cognitive status isn't completely intact, it can be really confusing. It can be really isolative, frightening. Um, so many things, plus let alone whatever disease process or traumatic process they're trying to work through or deal with. So I just, I mean, that's a long story, all of that, but um, I just really feel like just validating them as a human, just, I'm just gonna be with you <laughs> here for a moment. I'm with you, you're not alone. Um, I feel like that's so powerful um, and so appreciative and it touches um, the humanity in us in a, in a loving way that's really God sent. Yeah. Um, it's not me. <laughs> it's just being present with them. And I think that's something that we can do. It's kind of what you spoke to also. Like that's something we can do to spread God's love is just being present with one another and slowing down enough to take the mask off and mm -hmm. just be genuine. Especially in stressful times and people that are in hospitals don't necessarily need a long conversation, maybe just the caring presence. That's okay. I'm a, I'm a talker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that matters. Good. All right. Um, well, this... Uh, involves the same thing. I went. I stopped at Bishop Spencer's place, which is a nursing home, um, to see a, a person I've known for 40-some years um, who's in a wheelchair and um, has had lots of things happen over the years. But she's in the, the extended care part of that facility, and 
everybody else there is in hospice care. She's not six months from dying. <laughs> She's about 10 minutes from dying usually, but she manages to eke through. And uh, so we were talking about a friend who died recently, John Ditto, who was, a, was the organist at St. Paul's Church. And um, she went in and, and uh, she was with him when he died and she just held his hand. And she kind of felt like she was inflicting herself upon him. And I said, no, no contraire, you were, you were God's presence for him, you know? I mean, when you're dying, you're pushing everybody away. But that doesn't mean you want to push everybody away. And that doesn't mean you don't need to calm yourself. And it helps to have somebody holding your hand to do that. So I said to her, I said, Carol, you know, you have time. You're in this chair. You're with these people. You know half of them from church. You, you know, go and hold their hands. Do that. That's your ministry, you know. And so she claimed it as a ministry rather than she was inflicting herself upon these people, you know. I mean, uh, we, we do that sometimes to ourselves. My name's Bill, and I am a recovering alcoholic, and my ministry is is to Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, even though it's not a religious program, but it's certainly a spiritual program. And I truly believe that God is present with, in our meetings and wants all alcoholics to uh, recover from this disease. Um, and so I, I'm... Kind of the way I give back is I uh, attend meetings regularly and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety at best I can. I can't get anybody sober, but I can tell people how I got that way. So, um, and I and I always find it ironic that most alcoholics anonymous meetings are in a church building. Yeah, that is helpful, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for sharing. One thing I don't know if you all noticed, we're all sharing moments of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And gratitude, like anything else, takes cultivation. It takes exercise, practice to get better at it and to recognize where gratitude can be in our lives. And that is a hard thing to do. Um, in my former career, I came from a world that was very black and white. I was a former career firefighter. Life and death was literally on the line every day. And space for gratitude was platitudes. You don't go there because you have to focus on not dying and not letting other people around you die. So everything's very black and white. And I had to work on myself when it came to practicing gratitude. And actually my wife, who was here just a minute ago, was helping me with this. And this is a, a practice of gratitude that we started well over a year ago writing down intentional things you're grateful for every day, even if it's the littlest thing. I mean, for me, it's hearing the birds chirping outside my bedroom window in the morning right now. Spring's here, thank God. You know, we didn't hear that for the last six months. Those little things matter. How do you all practice gratitude? I also go for walks. I like to be out in nature, it really helps. And our little dogs, they bring me gratitude because they're just full of happiness, yeah. I try to make a point of thanking people for 
what they do. And I think in other other meetings at church, some of you probably heard it before, but this amazing woman who lives next door to me, who's in her 80s and is, um, she is disabled, so she just spends a lot of time sitting on her front porch. But she is such an encouraging woman that there is a constant stream of people coming up to her porch um, for people just to just to get some words of encouragement from her. They'll tell her they're, what they're struggling with, and she'll, you know. <laughs> um, so I was talking to her yesterday, and, and um, she said, I can't remember what her question was, but I said, well, Jolene, it's because you are an encourager. And she said, you've told me that before, and I told my son, and he said I should be very proud of that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, just making sure you tell people, you know, why you're grateful for their presence in your life, I think is really important. Yeah, I, and, and Mike shared a similar story of expressing kindness to others as they come through his store. Expressing kindness to strangers goes a long way in a world where road rage is literally all the rage. And it feels like people are constantly at each, at each other's necks, especially people they don't know, because it's an opportunity to express that rage and get away with it. Drive-by anger, online postings, rants about politics, rants about things that, you know, views of the world that they see, and that's an expression of pain. And we all have our own version of pain. And isn't it nice when somebody stops and affirms, yeah, that's got to hurt. And that's an expression of gratitude, just to stop and let somebody tell you their pain and not allow it to be personal. It's hard to do. So how else does anybody cultivate practices of gratitude? Yeah, I see, I see you going for the mic. <laughs> um, I just, I have, um, myself, I have um, eight grandchildren. Brett has a bunch too. So together we have 22. So That's we have awesome. a lot of grandchildren. And a lot of them, the youngest is 10, the oldest is 32. So they're all, this is not such an easy world for them. You know, there are a lot of concerns they have. Um, and many of them are on the news every day. I don't need yes. to get into mm -hmm. all of that. But it's very stressful for young people. And so I try very hard to stay connected with them. And a lot of times they're working, they're in school, they have a lot going on. So I text with them. And I text with them and listen and encourage them and tell them, you know, that I'm so grateful for their presence in my life. The gift of family. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. It really is. The <laughs> yes. I have kind of a part time job. Yeah, so the, the good things in our life are things we have to look for. They're not necessarily, sometimes they are right in front of your face, but sometimes it's easy to be blind to it. And as we heard in our scripture reading, the disciples struggled with that. 
immediately. Here come the women back from the tomb, and they're immediately like, eh, this doesn't really matter. They couldn't see past their own struggle in that moment. Peter did. Peter recognized something was up. And that brings something to us to recognize that we have that struggle in us too. Disciples did not come together to believe in Jesus on their own. It took others to come together in the community to help them understand that Jesus was still with them. And we talk a little bit about that. The church's early history constantly battled those things with what did we believe? Fred, yeah. Yeah, I just kind of want to echo um, Nancy's words. Um, having been around for 76 years, you know, I have a lot of opinions and been in government and been a lawyer and things, but what I found that the the young people need, people under 40, <laughs> young people under 30, um, they just need support. Mm -hmm. They really don't need my opinions about what they're doing or the, how, how the world should work. Now, occasionally if they'll ask, I'll try to be gentle and I'll give them some advice, <laughs> but they basically want support. And so you just have to say you're there and it's tough and we love you and appreciate you. Fred, you, you should teach a CPE class in a hospital. <laughs> That's exactly what they teach you in your chaplain courses. You're not there to fix it. You're there to just listen. Yes, everybody's on their own journey. Yeah. So as we get into what we believe, the Apostles' Creed was first formed in a, in a time when the church was in its infancy and the disciples and the apostles, they were trying to wrap their head around what it is that we believe. And it's, an, it's one of the earliest statement, statements that we have on our belief. And it forms the first part, it's formed, it forms the first part of our baptismal covenant, which you'll hear at the Easter vigil service when we have a baptism. And similarly, the first three questions of the baptismal covenant take the creed and dissect it into questions and answers. You know, do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father, your almighty creator of heaven and earth. And it continues on. Who here has struggled with these statements? I have. No doubt. This is hard stuff to understand and wrap my head around. There's a mystery behind it. And there's not a solid scientific answer to help me feel comfort. Does anybody else ever struggled so much that they aren't sure what they believe? I have, yeah. I've struggled with the concept of resurrection. Is this real or are we just wishing it to be real? Are we wishing so bad to be real that we universally wish it together eternally? that there is life after death. I know I'm not the only one in this room that's had to struggle with this before. What signs of resurrection have you seen in your life? Loved ones gone by, people you've known, and then sure signs that you know they're still with you. I know I've had many dreams about my grandfather when I was 12 years old and he passed away. And he was a part of my life. 
a major part of my life, a major part of my spiritual formation in the Catholic Church. And I couldn't let that go just because he died. And that dream was there of him talking to me in my life and occasionally coming back. I know that we know people are no longer with us physically, but there's something more to us that's animating us that's not just bones and sinew and and tissue. There's a soul to it, something we can't quite explain. But we could but when you're in a hospital, and I say this from my most recent experiences serving in a chaplain role, people that don't die die. Should shouldn't die and die. People that should die don't die. It's kind of a mystery. And there's no answer, no solid answer from the physicians and the nurses sometimes. It's this spiritual portal of life and death. And it happens. You would definitely know, yeah. Yeah. We like. You're on. I'm on. Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> um, we like to make a distinction between resurrection and resuscitation. Mm -hmm. But I can't help feeling that resuscitation as we know it now. I mean, uh, everybody here probably knows somebody who's been resuscitated. Their heart has stopped and, and they've come back or they know of stories or they've seen it on television, whatever. Uh, I can't help but think that resurrection itself brought that about, that the doctors who figured that out or whoever figured it out, figured it out because of the hope of the resurrection which was behind there for almost two millennia before resuscitation happened at a regular basis. Now that's just me in the 20th century, 21st century, uh, thinking about how we make progress and how things, ideas get in our head and we begin to think, wow, that could happen, you know, and it did. Now that's just resuscitation, but, but by the way, I believe in the resurrection. Yes, <laughs> and, and resuscitation is a real thing. As, a, as an EMT, I've been a part of CPR, and you see people come back to life. I can't yeah. help but think that was behind there. They thought resuscitation was possible because yeah. they had the cosmology of Judeo-Christian life that said resurrection happens. Now, you ask any physician about that. You ask any physician about that, they might be a little bit skeptical. But frankly, when ideas are out there and they're in our heads, they move us in directions we never expect. Somebody figured out that the heart would restart. Absolutely. So statements of faith, idea of baptism, it puts responsibility on us because this is only the first half of our baptismal covenant. Yeah. These, are, these are the statements of belief. The next are five questions and promises. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers? Will you persevere in resisting evil and wherever you fall, whenever you fall into sin, repent and turn, return to the Lord? Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God and Christ? Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? 
And will you strive for justice and peace among all people, respecting the dignity of every human being? These promises are what make the first half acceptable for me. I see justice in this. I see equality in this. Dignity and respect of all human beings, expressing love and gratitude, makes it easier to believe in some of the things that are a holy mystery. Because when we see actions in each other, kindness through hard times, holding the hand of someone as they're possibly passing away. You know there's more to life than just paying the bills and figuring out what's on Netflix for the night. So <laughs> that's 90% of my time, so yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure, yes. <laughs> so these past few weeks in both classes, Discovery and the Way of Love, we've been on this journey to discover more about our faith, about the history of our religion, as we're getting closer to Holy Week and this passion journey of Jesus re-entering Jerusalem, knowing he's coming to the end, the final departed message with his apostles around the Last Supper, the temptation in the wilderness overnight by, by evil, the capture and the torture and the killing, and then realizing it's not over because these women discovered in the tomb that Jesus wasn't there. And they knew he was there, but he was gone. The resurrection happened. So, it's a, it really is a life-changing story. And I highly encourage everyone here, if you've not participated in Holy Week, come to the services, in person or online. See them, see the story, it's life-changing. And it really makes you realize there's more to this world than just paying the bills and figuring out what's on Netflix. So <laughs> there's no greater story. So at this last day that we're all together, we talk about spiritual formation, next steps in the journey. Where are we headed? What does the church have to do for us? Because it feels like this is a goodbye but it's not a goodbye because many of you that have met over these last few weeks will form friendships that last for years to come. Kim and I, we went through our discovery class five years ago and, and we have built very, very good friends that, that we constantly connect with in various different ways. And when we see each other, it's like, oh, you know, we knew each other in the beginning. It's kind of like a little, little class, little reunion every time you see your friends. And that is, in, it's intentional. It gives you a place to start. But there are many different ways to discover what God's calling you to do in this place. You know, we, we have different tools that we use in the church. Then you, you probably heard Father John talking about the spiritual gifts inventory and some of the other things that are out there for you to ask yourself questions and discover what God is calling you to do. And... This is a website that's the Spiritual Gifts Quiz. It's a wonderful tool. Um, it's about 30 or so questions that you can dive in 
I recently took it again, and it keeps reaffirming that I should be a deacon, and that works for me. <laughs> I promise you all, yeah, yeah, I promise you all that's not the answer for everyone, but, but you all have unique gifts. We're all made with unique DNA, and our spiritual presence is different. Some of us are meant to walk, a very personal walk in pastoral care. Some of us are meant to go out into the world and help those in need. Some of us are meant to be involved in the, the liturgy and, and the traditions of church and help tell the stories of God throughout the history. This will help you find that. Um, and I say that, I, I wholeheartedly endorse it because it's such a simple yet easy tool to use. Questions about your leadership style, the way you enjoy engaging in people. And I want to inv invite Sarah, our engagement coordinator, to give us a little background on this. It's the gray button. It's on the very, very bottom. Yeah, it's, on the, it's near the bottom. This is why I'm not the worship tech coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you all, first of all, this is my last, last session of discovery as engagement coordinator. And I, it's just been really a joy. I can come up here. Um, it's really been such a joy to see so many unique individuals come through as newcomers, whether I found your name in the little red book, whether you texted, whether someone mentioned this person might be interested. And to see by the end of it, just this full picture of sort of who you are and where you could fit in at St. Andrews and watch that continue throughout has really been my favorite part of this job so I'm a little like I'm not even leaving St. Andrews but it's just a little bittersweet so I just wanted to let you all know that you do have support so obviously I can still be a resource there will be someone else great in this role in the future your clergy team uh, Cindy Sydney and Benton Glaze are here they're connection partners and that's a program where someone who's a little more established or has already gone through discovery and a discernment process would just be happy to be a resource to you as a parishioner who's not a staff um, so I'm grateful you all came tonight but there are people that are here to help you discover where you might fit in at St. Andrews and it doesn't have to be the next step is you become a member though you're certainly invited to and we'd love to have you uh, there are spiritual next steps which Father John will talk about there are other next steps and in involvement such as community service or formation. So it's really important to me and to all of us that we really find a place for you that fits authentically for you. I think that's the beauty of the Episcopal Church is you could just be yourself and find a place. Mm -hmm. um, so you have support. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. And I appreciate that. Go ahead. Yeah, I didn't know if I was up yet. Yes, okay. yes. <coughs> Sorry. So, Father John, everyone. No, no. <laughs> uh, just to affirm everything Sarah said, I mean, and, and to, to clarify, the sort of the um, next step in the curriculums or something like that of the discovery class is what, of what Sarah was describing. It's also just as open to anybody who was not in the discovery class. The, this, the spiritual gifts inventory is a great idea for any of us at any point, actually, because it's interesting to see how things can change over time, <clears throat> even if you have taken it before. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes okay. they don't, but yes. Sometimes they do, especially <laughs> over longer amounts of time. Um, 
you know, it's kind of interesting to see how God's working on you and how your call might morph as time goes on, because it does, because we're not static, neither is God. So that's a good thing. Um, so anyway, all the things Sarah was mentioning are available to any of you, not, not just people in the discovery class. Um, and so I, I just would invite you to consider, as you're thinking about <clears throat> how it is that you live out your faith, how it is you live out these promises of the baptismal covenant in day-to-day life, to, to, to think um, also about whether you would like to express a sense of commitment slash recommitment to God in some outward and visible way. Um, we're all about outward and visible things and outward and visible manifestations of faith in this tradition. It's kind of what we do. Sacramentality is a thing, not just in church, but in life. And <clears throat> so there are several options out there for you <laughs> in terms of ways to express a sense of, yeah, I want to say out loud that I'm part of this family and that I'm part of, um, that, that my relationship with God extends beyond simply the bubble of myself, right? So one way to do that is simply by saying, I would like to be a member of this family. And th there is a huge high bar to membership, which is by saying, I'd like to join. That's really it. That's all you have to do. Um, so just simply membership itself is, is, a, is a commitment to, to God expressed in community. There also are some options in terms of liturgy, in terms of um, sacramentalizing officially um, a, a a desire to make a to make a commitment in the moment <clears throat> and there's sort of a continuum of what that might be if you're somebody who has not been baptized the the primary sacramental commitment in our shared life is baptism itself the you know taking those promises of the, of the baptismal covenant to heart and saying yeah i do want to try to do those things i do want to try to live this way I will try to do this with God's help, which is the answer to all of those questions. Um, so if you haven't been baptized, that would be the first, the first step. If you have been baptized, um, that is not the end of the story. It's a story that gets reaffirmed. Um, among all of us, every time we attend a baptism, as Deacon Adam was saying, but also that we can do for ourselves in important and significant ways, reflecting where we are in a particular point in life, right? So if you've been baptized and you have this sense that I would like to just make this commitment for myself, perhaps you were baptized like some of us were at one month of age where you don't have a lot of choice about the thing. Um, you know, so there's the opportunity for confirmation, <clears throat> which is the sort of an adult expression of those same promises to claim it for yourself. Um, so if you if you have been baptized, but but not affirmed it on your own, or uh, yeah, not affirmed it on your own for, as a as an adult, confirmation would be the step for that. Now it always then comes up. Okay, well I've been confirmed in another church, maybe in the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church or the Orthodox Church or any of a number of other traditions that that. Uh, for whom confirmation is is a is a sacrament. If you if that is true, if you've been confirmed in another tradition, if a bishop has laid hands on you and confirmed you, you don't need to do that again. In fact, you kind of can't do that again. 
Um, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. It's already been done. What you can do, though, is something very similar to that, or at least it feels very similar, which is to be received into this tradition. So say you were confirmed as a Roman Catholic uh, when you were 13 or whatever, you know, but you want to come into to, to the Episcopal Church and into the family of St. Andrews. You can do that by being officially received as an Episcopalian, which looks and feels, I think this is true for those of you who've done it, looks and feels remarkably like being confirmed because you're there with everybody who's being confirmed and the bishop is praying for you at the same time in the same place. But it's a different prayer. It's a prayer of welcome and a, a prayer of recognition that you are absolutely part of this family and part of this continuum of, of the church with a capital C from the apostles on down the line, uh, and that that has been affirmed in your life by the presence of a bishop having put his or her hands on your head at some point in your life. So anyway, reception into the church is a, is a good way to sacramentalize that um, sense of coming in. Then there's one other option, <clears throat> and that is, okay, I've been baptized, I've been confirmed as an Episcopalian, I'm already an Episcopalian. I came from, you know, St. George's in somewhere in, you know, New Mexico or whatever. I, I, none of those other things apply to me. What can I do? There is something for you too, and that is reaffirming your baptismal vows, <clears throat> which may sound like, well, don't we do that anyway? A and it's true. Everybody in the room is reaffirming our baptismal vows um, every time there's a confirmation or a baptism, but there are moments in our lives <laughs> when something happens, right? Where something's going on in your heart and soul and spirit and life, and you just have that sense, particularly maybe coming out of a time like Lent, you have that sense, I need to re-up. <laughs> I, I, I need to claim this again. Not that it's a new thing, but, you know, a new awakening, perhaps, of an existing reality. Anyway, it, there are times when it is just right to go up in front of the bishop when the bishop comes and simply reaffirm your vows and have the bishop pray over you at that point. This a, a lovely um, expression of support, of presence, and of kind of recommissioning for what God might have in mind for you to be doing in response to those promises in an outward and visible way in your own life. So I'm, I'm rambling. No, this is but great. Actually, I wanted to clarify one thing yeah, to our yeah. Roman Catholic friends in the room. As a former Roman Catholic, there is no memorization of the catechism. <laughs> no. I was really no, worried about this so when no, I first came no, here. I'm like, there are no tests. I have to, me oh my God, I don't have time to memorize anything. And it was gratefully let down that that was not a you, part. You, no. And the way Father John expressed this confirmation is about going back to your baptism and making an adult choice about yeah. the things you're baptized in. Exactly. So. Is, any questions about that? And they could be very specific if you want or we can talk later or something. But any questions about those, those ways to, to make a sacramental commitment? Cool. Okay. And I would, just, I would just like to say the bishop's hands on your head is a very special moment. It's happened twice in my adult life now. And um, you'd be surprised how much it's life-changing for the better. There's a magic to it that doesn't make sense, but it works. And I highly encourage you to experience it. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And our current bishop here has this wonderful way of asking you questions. 
and then creating a special prayer for you in the moment. Um, it's a very beautiful thing. So, just, one, one other thing, practically, I forgot to say. Um, bishops, by nature of their vocation, aren't around all the time. They're going to different congregations every week and all that. So we had a visitation um, St. Andrew's Sunday, right? It was St. Andrew's Sunday was when she was here last. The next time Bishop Diane will be with us for these rites will be Epiphany. So January 7th, I think it's the 7th, um, when we celebrate Epiphany. <coughs> Excuse me. So she, she will be coming when the kings, the giant kings, make their appearance. So will Bishop Diane. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything about how much taller than she is. They are. But anyway, it will be a beautiful time for all those things to be happening. Yeah, okay, there you go. Um, and, and, and would be a lovely way, a beautiful way, actually, or time to, to express that for yourself. Thank you, Father John. So this class is designed by nature to get you thinking about the next steps for yourself and what those next steps are. So, as we look towards the end of our class and our time together, I want to share something that's important. And this is our mission statement, St. Andrew's mission statement. It can't be said enough. Together, as humans here at St. Andrew's, we seek God's healing love and share that love with all by growing in relationship with God, each other, and our neighbors. And you're sitting in one of the physical embodiments of that, HJ's Youth and Community Center, open six and a half days a week, coffee six days a week, no requirement other than just say hello when you come in. It's open from 8 to 11 every morning, uh, except for Sundays because we're across the street. But know that this, this building makes a difference in the community because most of the people that come in and out of here are not thinking about church. They're thinking about being a part of a community, and ironically, that is church, which is a beautiful thing. So continue thinking about those things. Just as our bodies are uniquely made with the specific traits directed by our DNA, spiritual gifts are in our spiritual DNA. It's an expression of God's plan for our lives. We are all called to serve God and each other and in sharing God's healing love. When we are loved, it forms our love for us, and then we are sent out into the world to share that love. And that's why you hear me or another deacon at the end of the service saying, go in peace to love and serve the Lord because the service isn't over. It's just on pause until the next time you're there. The service continues eternally. So as we say goodbye, our closing prayer comes to us. It's one of my favorites, and I wish I could claim that I brought this up. This is actually a part of the spiritual formation packet from the National Church. St. Teresa of Avila is widely, widely accredited with this prayer. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes, yours are the body. Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks with compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.
I, it's been a pleasure to be with you for an hour. I hope I see you in the coming week. Don't forget Palm Sunday, 9.30 a.m. right here. Yes. Yes, thank you.